Hi guys, I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to part two of episode 56 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Molle, your host. Last week, we talked about Dan Kiernan's life and his tennis academy in Sodo Grande, Spain. This week, we're talking about how he used the COVID pandemic as an opportunity to grow the academy worldwide. And we touched deeply on mental health issues in tennis. It's a great episode. And mental health in tennis is an area I would like to touch on more moving forward on this show. A shout out to our podcast sponsor's head. Okay, here we go. Now we're going we're gonna to move on to another exciting part of this conversation, which I want to get into is during COVID, there was a challenge for everybody. I know for me as a business, we couldn't ship to most countries worldwide. People weren't playing tennis and it's still ongoing at the minute. But from your side, all of a sudden, you can't have players in the academy. Players have to be sent home. And I know different academies around the world had different issues with their players in and out of the academy. But what were your main challenges? And from what I know, to combat challenges, you obviously, from a marketing side of view, you launched courses, you launched successful podcasts. Tell me more about everything there. Yeah. So there's a, there's a thing that I've managed to get my head around over the years. When, when something bad happens, I say the word good. I have to say on that, when it comes to critical illness, then that doesn't obviously work, you know, so there's just anyone that's kind of listening that's thinking, well, you haven't had these really bad things happen. There's certain things that that scares me because there's nothing you can do about it, you know, and that's that's very difficult. But I, I am a big believer that whenever other bad things happen, opportunity opens. I've really worked hard to get that mindset over the years. And that's something that we really try and drill into our players, our coaches, you know, that's something that we're big on. So on the first day when this all happened, obviously, it's, it's the unknown. Without any shadow of a doubt, it brings stresses, it brings challenges, it brings difficulties. And I think they're important to talk about as well. You know, and that's, we think an international tennis academy, you can't go on the tennis court, you know, you you, you, the kids can't go to school. Everybody has gone home. You know, you now don't have anyone that can get to you because of the travel. Tennis is a, especially in, a, in an academy like ours, it's, it is very much a universal sport. You know, it's an international sport. It's one of the fields that without question has been hit the hardest. However, on, on day one, we could have given a long list of what we couldn't do anymore. But what we did as a team, and this is where I've got so much admiration for my team as well, we said, okay, let's let's reframe this. What can we do? You know, and I think that, that small reframing of what can't we do, which is the natural human brain goes, can't do this, can't do that. Oh, poor me, poor me, poor that. We just went, right, what can we do? And we, and we sat there and we said, right, so what we can do is tennis is a mental, physical, technical, and tactical game, okay? Now, what we can't do is we can't hit balls over a net, yeah? But what we can do is we can get them really fit, you know, and we can set up really individualized physical programs, 
know, individualized through what they need physically, but also individualized with what they have in terms of facilities, space, you know, logistics, all of those things. What we can do is we can make sure that we work with Anthony Ross at Mentally Tough Tennis. You know, he works very closely with the, with us as coaches. So we become the day-to-day sports psychologists for our players. We can get them to really, really understand our sports psychology model. We can get them to do a lot of work on that area and really develop that side. What we can also do is we can get them to, I'm a big believer, I have a a concept that I use, which is what's your code, you know, which I do a bit of coach education around and that I'm going to develop it over the years. And And the C stands for connect, but the O stands for order. And I'm a big believer that you have to connect and give players order to their minds, order to their game before you start developing. So there's no excuse for all of our players not to have absolute tactical order, understand their patterns, understand their game, watch lots of tennis, work with the coaches. You know, so we worked on that. And then from a from a technical point of view, we looked at it and said, well, volleys is an area that you don't necessarily need a lot of space so let's make sure all of our players have the best technical volleys that they possibly can at the end of this you know so that was the starting point and 48 hours later we had an online program for soto tennis players Um, and we worked tirelessly through the night to make sure we had and then we just started then developing content the whole time for our players and and the way that we looked at that and 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 believe you me not every parent or player bought into it because some people think if you're not hitting tennis balls you're not getting better but we did have a lot that did and and what we did with that is we had all of that program running we then made sure that there was lots of regular zoom calls you know lots of discussion you know discussion around all those areas and those that committed to that program genuinely came back as better tennis players it worked you know and i'm not saying everybody did commit but the ones that did came back but but what that left us with was still still the real position of we can't charge full prices for that so we're now already down we've now got players that aren't going to pay that so they disappear you know so a few few players and parents disappear you know but we still have pretty much all of our outgoings so how are we now going to keep the business going so we then started to then say well online opens up an opportunity to the world you know we now have more potential students than ever before so so we and it's still it's still ongoing but we launched our first online course we didn't know how to spell online until 10 days before and we spent <laughs> we spent so we spent 10 days i didn't go to bed before five o'clock in the morning for that two weeks um i did half of my team and we developed what i was really really proud of a 21 day program for different levels um and i would say that was a really big success you know we we managed to. We I think there was ended up being 80, 80 or ninety people that that, that that bought into that course. Um, feedback was fantastic, and then what we did is we continued developing. So we now have twelve more courses online, which we haven't actually started to really market yet. You know, but ranging from kind of strength flexibility programs to tactical programs to. So to, to technical programs, to understanding, you know, how to play tennis as the underdog, how to play tennis, like going into real detail, you know, the, the teams pr- really produce some brilliant work. And over the next couple of weeks, 
the whole idea is that we are gonna have we're gonna have Soto Tennis as an online academy, so people can access Soto Tennis, um, and they can access the people within Soto Tennis, and it's then their first kind of step to that relationship with Soto Tennis. And that's something that we absolutely plan on growing over the next few months, um, which which is brilliant. So that's going to be that's going to be a real positive of this time. It's something I've always wanted to do, and you hear it all the time. People, it's been great because people have done things they wanted to do. You know, I've I've always wanted to have a podcast and just give it just give it a go. So myself and John McGann set up the podcast, whatever it was, ten weeks ago, and you know, I think yeah, we release we we release episode thirty seven um, today. You know, so that's been a massive positive, and and I've learned so much from that process and speaking to all these amazing people, and um, you know, that's helped me kind of refine some of my philosophies, and then just just the the mental health side of connecting with so many people, I think, has been fantastic as well. So I've felt very energized throughout. Um, but that's not to say that there hasn't been some big real worries and concerns. Um, but we, you know, I, I'm a big believer. We keep getting our heads down and keep working hard. The good things and you will come, and we'll get the return on that investment, whether that's six months, twelve months, eighteen months, five years down the line. That is a lot of courses you put together, Dan. It's exciting to, to have that aspect of your business, which you didn't have 12, 13 weeks ago. Now you've this. Now, as you said yourself, you you're you've accessed so many more players now who can buy into the Soto Tennis Academy philosophy and who you can train. So I think that's amazing. And also with your podcast, like what, episode 35, did you say? So 37 goes out today. 37, sorry. 30, which is in like that short space of time, that's a lot of work goes into that. First of all, finding the guests, you've had some great guests on there and you just find the time to do that. These things all take time. Like we're nearly, we're a year in here in episode 55. This will be 56 actually. And so I know how much work goes into it. And plus you're building the course at the same time. Plus you're managing your day-to-day. Tell me, what about your coaches? Did they stay? Did they all stay on the payroll? Most of them did. We had a couple that, again, when we had open conversations, there's a couple that actually wanted to explore a couple more opportunities during this time. You know, so taking mentoring courses and taking a few different things. Um, so, so that was. I made it my goal that I was going to come through this with the same team that that, that we started it with. And you know you can never, never say for sure with with everything go, that, that's going on and what what might happen in a few months down the line. But uh, we still have the whole team back in place, and we've got we've got one coach that he's taken kind of a couple of months away. You can in in Spain it's a little bit different to furlough; it's not quite the, the, to the same level. But there has been an option in Spain, and one of my coaches remains doing that and until September. Um, but that was more out of personal choice than anything. With with we're wanting to use the opportunity to develop some some other areas himself outside of outside of Soto Tennis. Um, so yeah, so all, all in all, the challenges will continue. We, we're not we're not at the end of this as with most businesses in the world. Um, but we'll just we'll keep trying to do the right things and keep. We'll certainly it won't be for a lack of lack of work at work ethic throughout the team. That's for sure. Yeah, that's good that they're they're still on board. You can keep. I said most of them going, and yeah, great work ethic. So let's uh, 
talk about something that you've also been talking about recently, something that functional tennis hasn't talked about at all. And I know Robin Soderling brought it up last week, which with a post that went down really well, you've been bringing it up, discussing it with players and you even had your own mental health week going on right now. Mental health, let's let's talk about something that isn't discussed that often. Yeah, I mean, it's real. I think I think the big thing for me is it's real. Um, if I look at it and, and obviously speaking to a lot of people over the last couple of weeks on the podcast, it's something that I've had a lot of personal experience with as someone who's been the confidant to different people, whether it's players, coaches, you know, parents, you know, there's lots of it out there. And I think obviously there's a stigma, there can be a stigma attached to it. Um, but as, as I've got closer to it and, you know, we've had in one of our podcasts that goes out on Thursday night, you know, which might not be time relevant to this podcast is one of my coaches for six years. And he opens up about his full story. You know, his full story, which took him to the point of him trying to take his life. And I was probably the closest person to him throughout that. Um, you know, he's at the point now where he's talking about that very openly, um, which is which is a great sign because he's in a very strong place now. Um, but the way that I guess we would look at it is mental illness, mental health is like physical health. You know, and you, you might fall over and cut your knee, Fabio, and you've got you've got to see the doctor or the nurse, or you've got to put a bandage on your leg, or, or somebody might completely crack their knee kneecap into seven pieces. Now they're both physical health; <laughs> they're, they're varying degrees of intensity, you know, and 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 whatever else would go with that. But I'm a big believer that that's the same on the mental health side. You know, I think we all experience some mental health difficulties at some point, whether that's work-life balance, whether that's, you know, worries, concerns, anxieties, all the way through to some really strong, some really strong, difficult, intense internal experiences that people have. And and I just, I guess, it's something that is very close to my heart, one, because of Joe, but also we've had, we have had players that have gone through lots of difficulties themselves, but also just in the tennis world, I think it is very conducive to this. They say that 35% of athletes, you know, experience mental health difficulties. I would say it's higher in tennis. If we talk about tennis, if you're a, if you're a footballer, I'm not, I'm not saying that you don't experience mental health difficulties, but however, if you get injured as a footballer, you still get paid. You know, so it's difficult, but if you're still getting your 20 grand a week and you can't play a match for six weeks or six months, okay, let's have some perspective. Whereas if we talk about in tennis, you get injured, that's six months without pay, you know, and the, and the worry about what happens to your ranking. And, the, and then when you do come back, you've got to travel to Tunisia for four or five weeks without any coaches, without any friends, without, you know, so it's very conducive, the world of tennis, to people having these difficult experiences. And I would argue that 100% of people do, you know, at, at whatever level that is and at whatever level of intensity that is. So so we wanted to bring, do our, our bit, and we're not, a, we're not a big podcast yet, you know, hopefully more and more people are going to start listening to the podcast, Control the Controllables. H- however... We do have enough people now that I believe it's a, it's a platform that we can start to get some of those messages out. And and what better way to bring awareness to it than than actually normalising it through through telling people telling their stories, 
you know, and that's where the whole kind of concept in my head worked. And if I have I mentioned, you know, the pandemic, I think we probably all had some mental health difficulties of going, oh no, what now? You know, uncertainty, not being able to get out the house, not knowing what's going to happen to our business, you know, all of these type of things. However, I think the thought process of everyone's in the same boat made it much easier for us all to deal with that. And and that is because of the concept of normalizing. You know, it was it was normalized. So what I hope to achieve through these podcasts and you know, I think they're fantastic. I really do, you know, listening to I like to listen to podcasts anyway, is when you hear other people's stories, it might just touch the hearts of one, two, three people and, and make them feel like what they're going through is a bit more normal and they they feel as if they've got somebody to to be able to now connect to. And I would talk about so an alcoholic, you know, or somebody who gambles too much or somebody who does these things, the, the best therapy is that they go and they sit around a table with another 15 or 20 people sharing their story, you know, and that's where you, where you draw strength um, from. So, yeah, I think, I think we need to understand it. I think from a parent point of view, I think parents listening need to understand it um, because I think parents do put a lot of pressure on coaches because they are so engrossed in their little Charlie's tennis life that they that they almost then just think coaches are just a, an object that's part of that at times you know and one of our again one of one of the girls Fran Lewis who you know fantastic fantastic up and coming coach in Wales she talks about the difficulties she's experienced and it all stems from the pressure she feels and the expectation that coaches have to be answering their phones at nine o'clock at night receiving difficult text messages at ten o'clock at night you know expected to work on Saturdays Sundays you know and all of that kind of builds up so the more people can be aware I hope that maybe just people just think a little bit more before they speak and and maybe just ask some nicer kind of questions whether it's parent to coach whether it's parent to player whether it's coach to player I think we can we can help a lot by just being a little bit kinder to each other each day and, and I hope it goes somewhere to to helping people with that it's definitely really good to to be open and hear other stories. I do think though footballers have it a little bit easier, not saying it's easy at the high level or at the lower levels, but even at the, the lower levels, you normally have a team so you can share with some of your teammates. You may not talk to them all. You have a management team that you can talk to. You're at home most of the time. You may travel a weekend. So, and plus, as you said, when you're injured, the wage still comes in. You're looked after. You have a team to look after you there. So I think it's a lot easier Obviously, you still have your confidence issues and other battles that go on, which can be tough. But for tennis players, it's definitely harder. And I also think for coaches, it's, it's just as hard because normally coaches are a bit older. They may have a family, mortgage to pay. The money has to come in. And it puts, it's a lot of coaches have been under pressure the, uh, the last few months, especially. And I know some governments have been great helping out, which has been amazing. But there's also the, the stigma of, people don't want to talk about mental health issues and it's our job to open that up to make it more there's nothing wrong with talking about these things it's important and you touched on the fact that you know if you get injured you hurt yourself you go see a professional medic profession and it should be the same with mental issues you should be 
easily able to go to a psychologist, talk about the issues. And in some countries like South America, I think it's Argentina where you get, you know, everybody goes every week to talk to the psychologist. It's really open. They talk about it. I know in Ireland, nobody likes talking about it. It's slowly getting better, but some countries are more open. I know the States are quite open. They all go. And yeah, I think a lot of it comes from your background, your country's background, but it's our job, Dan, to open that up and say, look, we're here, share your problems with us. And I think Robin Sodling did a great job where he talked about his strive for perfection, his loneliness and how it's a, it's a fine line between, you know, striving for perfection. And if you can step over it, all of a sudden, you know, anxiety sets in, the panic attacks step in, you have burnout, depression, eating disorders, and like stress hits people in different ways. You may get lack of energy, stomach issues, you know, you may get thoughts you shouldn't be getting. It affects everybody differently. It does massively. I mean, I'd love to, I've actually reached out to Robin. I'd love to get him on the podcast to talk about it because I think, I think it is that it it hits, like it, it hits people. Like I, I know during this week, I mean, Noah Rubin went out yesterday, Liam Brody's going out in a couple of days. He talked about his, his, um, health problems. Uh, Joe Dixon's got a strong story, and I know it's going to hit people, but it, it needs to be shared, you know. And it's it, and I and I do think also there's a bigger picture here, Fabio. With with tennis, there isn't any security in tennis. There's none, you know. There's no there's no security, you know. You get, you know, Evan Hoyt, player that I work with. He's he's gone in to be operated on his knee next week he's not going to get paid for the rest of 2020 done nothing you know that's that's it you know so then if I was his if that was my only job coaching him I'm now done <laughs> you know yeah and that's I think the big thing that I think we have to try and get people to understand with tennis and, and if we talk about tennis coaches for a minute you are you end up being I would be very reluctant to go and coach on the tour because if you don't coach on the tour, you you are putting yourself into a completely detrimental situation where you are relying on one individual paying your wage. <laughs> you know, as a, as a tennis coach, and that as a tennis coach who's extremely professional, you know, someone who's got years of experience to be in a position where a moody twenty year old or <laughs> or a crazy parent of a twenty year old is your security blanket to being paid and putting food on the table for your family. I mean, let's be honest, why who would ever do it? If we think plenty do, plenty do. You know, no, no, exactly. But uh, they do because of the passion we have for the sport. But if we if we remove that emotion and look at it in that way, it's crazy. It's completely crazy. And that's also why we have a bunch of, there's a lot of nutters on the tour as coaches. You know, it's not the best coaches aren't on the tour. There's some, absolutely. There's some amazing coaches on the tour. But there's also, there's a lot of hitting partners who are young because they, they don't really need the security yet. They don't have family. Yeah. You know, so so absolutely, it's going to travel the world and there's nothing to lose. Or there's, or there's you get a lot, especially on the women's tour, of 60, 70-year-old men who, who maybe don't have families anymore and who are in a position where, uh, yeah, traveling the world, I can do that and I've got a bit of money to back, to back me up. But whereas guys between the ages of 30 and 40, 25, 28 and 45 who, who have got families to provide for, 
you have to be really difficult. You have to be really careful making that decision to put your career and security in the hands of a player or or a pandemic that's happened like this. You know, and I, and I do think there needs to be some way of professionalizing the way that it works so that players can have a wage and also that coaches can have a wage if, if that's the case. Because otherwise, and I think more and more after we've seen what can happen with a pandemic, I think coaches will be reluctant to put themselves in such a position of, of insecurity. Um, and then obviously that insecurity brings brings with it mental health problems as well. Um, so I think we've got a long way to go as a, as a sport on that. Did you know we have over 170 great episodes with coaches, players, trainers and experts working at the highest level of the game? Tap the subscribe button on your podcast app so you don't miss out on the latest episodes of the podcast. And to listen to our great back catalogue of episodes with the biggest game changers in tennis, go to functionaltennispodcast.com. Yeah, and it's not only tennis coaches, it's the trainers, the physios. I know there's not as many as them as coaches, but they've all been affected. So I think it's important that you do have a base at home that, you know, you've some business coming at home and you're not traveling 50 weeks of the year. If you can, guys who can manage both of them, at least they've sort of, they can go home and have some income there. But again, it takes time and experience. You have to be, you have to learn the lesson, don't you, before it all comes together. Absolutely. And and, 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 and yeah, also just one quick point on that, Fabio. It, what ends up then happening is you can almost have anybody that's traveling on the tour. And I think we need to professionalize the sport from that point of view as well. There should be, there should almost be a tour qualification or there should be, you know, these sort of things as well, because then it should be that if you're at the point where you're working, able to, you know, work with the, uh, the highest level players, 100 in the world, 150 in the world, 50 in the world, it, it, that should be the pinnacle of our sport. But it's not. It's, it's really not. You know, working at the top 10 maybe is, but it's not the pinnacle of our sport going and getting paid 300 euros a week because the player wants to save some money to have someone to go and hit some tennis balls and and basically be treated as a bit of a bitch for the week, you know? Even the, well, the coach, most coaches are treated like bitches, aren't they? <laughs> no matter, nearly, no matter what level, on the, you, from what you see sometimes in the players having a bad day. Unfortunately too much, but I, I, I'd like to see it. So it's, it becomes something to you know, really aim for, you know, a real career progression. You know, actually, I want to get to the point where I qualify to be able to, and, and almost if you do qualify and you're able to be that to a coach, there's maybe is, you know, a way, a natural wage that comes in. So there's some security and then you go and you do your 10 weeks, 15 weeks, whatever it might be. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly how it's structured, but I think I think this time period these conversations should have been happening at the top end of the sport. Whether they have been, I don't know. But when are we going to be granted three, four, five months to just actually open up some real discussion ever again? You know, it's that's I, I don't know the ins and outs of what goes on behind the scenes, but I'd like to think that some progressive conversations have happened. I wouldn't bet on it, Dan. I wouldn't. And yeah, we just ended. I I think some professions you need to be a bit of a nutter to work in them and I think traveling on the tour is one of them and we all we used to have a family business in the catering world fast food world and to work I was taught to work in the fast food the better people who work there were the ones that were a little bit 
mad. Like the quiet ones were never too quiet. You had to be a bit of a nutter. And we found they used to be great. And I think the traveling tennis community, you got to be a little, the coach have to be a bit mad to put up with everything, to enjoy themselves. And I'm not saying they're good or bad coaches, but as a personality, you need to be a bit of a, a nutter you do. in a good way to yeah. get the most out of it. Yeah, yeah, you do. I mean, I like, I actually like uh, the best traveling for me and I know for the players that I work with is when you go as a team. And that's something we try and do as an academy. We try and, and obviously as players separate their level, it becomes more difficult. Um, but traveling as a team, one tennis coach, one fitness coach, and, and let's say four to five players, a couple of girls, a couple of boys, have just, just, just brilliant because just to enhance the experience, you know, and I think that's ultimately... We, we have to be careful just getting caught up in ranking, 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 ranking and, and the pressure that brings. Let's We need to enjoy this experience as well. And, and, and anybody I've spoken to on the podcast the last few weeks, from like Freddie Nielsen, Johnny Mario winning Wimbledon to Evan Hoyt eating silver mate in quarterfinals of Wimbledon to you know different players that have won Grand Slams to Jamie Murray to they they always talk about the importance of enjoying that experience, you know and, and once that enjoyment goes, people aren't going to perform to the same level. They're just not, you know, and, and, and from there, it's that if we can at the lower level, and when I say lower level, I'm talking ITF juniors and futures level, I'm a big believer that it should be traveling in groups to the, to the best part. And if we then have more team competitions, so people have, and I think on, on the mental health side of things, I think that would make a massive difference in our sport as well. Um, and I'd love to see a little bit more of that happening. Hopefully, hopefully it changes. What advice do you have for a young juniors, 14, 15 year olds who are quite good, who want to be professional? Well, there's so many bits of advice that I would give, and and, and 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 so much of the advice would be individualized to to their situation. You know, however, enjoy it, enjoy the enjoy the ride would be my number one bit. You know, you're you're not gonna play, you're not gonna play tennis for that long, in 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 the in the larger scheme of things. You know, and I think don't worry about where you get to as such, but enjoy enjoy what you do because you'll actually then get further, you know, and and have have a little bit of perspective on if you have a successful career, you'll play tennis until you're 28, 29 years old. You know, if you have an okay, and I, I would say I had a decent career and I played till I was 25. So if you're 14 or 15, you've basically got three to four years before you potentially go to US college. You know, and then you've got four years of US college. So you've got seven or eight years just to just to get better every day and have some fun. Like like it, it's if I could genuinely go back to then have that men- mentality, I definitely would have been a better tennis player. You know, and and I have these discussions with our guys all the time. It's basically seven or eight free years just to just to just embrace the sport, embrace the experiences. Um, and then if you feel that you're at the level that you can go and play professional tennis after that, then, then fantastic. Then, you know, you reset yourself, but you, you're probably only resetting yourself for another four, five, six, seven years um, before you're actually in the big, bad, wide world from 30 years onwards. Um, so, yeah, so, so enjoy it. Uh, make sure you, you surround yourself with people that, one, believe in you and, and two, that you're connected to. 
um, if you're working with coaches and you don't feel that it's quite working and they, you don't feel like they're fully connected to you or you're on different different path, different wavelengths, then you probably are. So so I, I would say that that is also really important. And I'm a big believer that the, the number one way that a tennis coach can help a player is by connecting to them. You know, so connecting to them as people, connecting to them as a family, connecting to their purpose, connecting to the way that they want to play tennis, connecting to their journey. And if you're not, if you don't, not with a coach that, that you have that with, then you you aren't giving your best chance, giving yourself the best chance. Even if that's a coach who's got a great reputation, a great reputation for for good forehand technique or whatever. Now get get yourself with a coach who you connect with and uh, and a place that you train that you that you connect with as well. So I think those would be two bits of advice, general advice that would jump to my mind. Thanks for having me, Fabio, and well done to yourself. You know, on the on the podcast and also your platform. You know, I'm a I'm a big I'm a big advocate um, of there's many different vehicle there's many different routes that you can go through the vehicle of tennis you know and i think what you do with functional tennis is is fantastic you know it's servicing the the community out there and you are on my list to get you on our podcast as well so um, you know we've got we've got we've got, a, we've got a long list of fantastic people because i, I do i i want us to really showcase all of the different ways and different routes people can go it's a difficult sport but it's it's also the best sport in the world in my opinion and it's you know you give your very best and you enjoy what you're doing you'll get a lot from the sport and and i'm and you know you're an, an, another great example of that fabio so watch out for fabio coming on control the controllables in the next few weeks as well thank you i hope you enjoyed the episodes with dan especially today's episode on mental health challenges in tennis. As I mentioned, it's something I'd like to touch on more in the podcast moving forward and look forward to sharing it with you guys. Hope you're back playing tennis and until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.